Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, July 30th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, are ads a bigger cash cow for Amazon than even AWS at this point? Follow up on Robinhood's trading debut yesterday. How the SEC is dealing with the Chinese tech stock problem. GoPuff indicates that grocery delivery is still white hot to investors. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Amazon wraps up our week of tech company earnings. There are other tech companies reporting next week, like Uber and Roku, etc. But we don't usually cover those unless there's a major miss or something. Amazon reported a miss yesterday. It just wasn't that major, but hey, it's still worth noting. The miss was on revenue, which came in at $133.08 billion on $115.2 billion estimated, which is or isn't a big miss depending on how you think about it. It's small in percentage terms, almost infinitesimal, but you know, for most companies, missing revenue by $2 billion in a quarter would be a pretty big deal. Anyway, net sales were up 27% year-over-year, AWS net sales were up 37% year-over-year, and Amazon had net income of $7.8 billion. Also, once again, Amazon reported Q2 revenue from its other category, which mostly covers its ad business, of $7.9 billion, up 83% year-over-year, and subscription service revenue of $7.9 billion, up 28% year-over-year. As Dare Obasanjo tweeted, revenue from Amazon's ad business is now larger than Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. This is an even bigger sleeper hit than AWS. More proof that search ads is the greatest business in the world, end quote. Amazon also had to disclose that EU privacy regulators levied a record $888 million fine on Amazon for violating GDPR data storage rules, quoting Bloomberg. CNPD, the Luxembourg Data Protection Authority, slapped Amazon with the record fine in a July 16th decision that accused the online retailer of processing personal data in violation of the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. Amazon disclosed the fine in a regulatory filing on Friday, saying the decision is, quote, without merit. Quote, there has been no data breach and no customer data has been exposed to any third party, Amazon said in a statement, adding that it plans to appeal. These facts are undisputed. We strongly disagree with the CNPD's ruling, end quote. The decision concludes a probe started by a 2018 complaint from French privacy rights group La Quadrature du Net, it cautiously welcomed the decision, quote, It's a first step to see a fine that's dissuasive, but we need to remain vigilant and see if the decision also includes an injunction to correct the infringing behavior, said Bastien Lequarec, a member of La Quadrature's litigation team, adding the group hadn't received the decision yet. EU data protection regulators' powers have increased significantly since the bloc's GDPR rules took effect in May of 2018. It allows watchdogs for the first time to levy fines of as much as 4% of a company's annual global sales, the biggest fine to date, was a $50 million euro penalty for Google issued by France's CNIL, end quote. Forgot to mention that Amazon was down a whopping 7.5% in stock market trading this morning. Traders apparently don't like how Amazon had to warn that it is expecting slower growth for the next few quarters as it lapse year-over-year comparisons to the unusually boom time that it experienced during COVID lockdowns last year. And just because I talked about it yesterday, 
I thought I'd also let you know that Robinhood closed down 8% on its first day of trading yesterday after raising $2.1 billion in its IPO at a valuation of around $32 billion. Just popped barely into the green at the time of writing this morning, quoting CNBC. Despite its rapid growth in the past few years, Robinhood has some future risks. Most notably, the Securities and Exchange Commission is reviewing payment for order flow, or the money brokerage firms receive for directing clients' trades to market makers. This controversial practice accounted for roughly 80% of Robinhood's revenue in the first quarter. The stock trading company collected a record $331 million in payment for order flow in the first quarter of 2021, according to an SEC filing. We think payment for order flow is a better deal for our customers versus the old commission structure. It allows investors to invest smaller amounts without having to worry about the cost of commissions, Robinhood CFO Jason Warnick said Saturday at the company's virtual roadshow. However, Warnick said, Robinhood wants to be fully engaged in the regulatory and political discussion about payment for order flow. He said if the model changed, Robinhood and the industry would be able to adapt. Robinhood, which benefits from more speculative trading practices from its clients, also warned of a slowdown in trading revenue and account growth as the retail trading boom simmers. Options trading accounts for about 38% of revenue, while equities and crypto are 25 and 17% of revenues, respectively." End quote. Sources are telling Reuters that the SEC has stopped processing IPO and other registrations by Chinese companies as it crafts guidance for investor disclosure over China's recent crackdown. Quote, Chinese listings in the United States have reached a record $12.8 billion so far this year, according to Refinitiv data, as companies swooped in to capitalize on the U.S. stock market reaching daily record highs. SEC Commissioner Allison Lee said on Tuesday that Chinese companies listed on U.S. stock exchanges must disclose to investors the risks of the Chinese government interfering in their businesses as part of their regular reporting obligations. The SEC has asked companies not to submit any registrations for the issuance of securities until it gives them specific guidance on how to disclose the risks they face in China, the sources said. It was not immediately clear how long this would take, end quote. Meanwhile, Nathaniel Taplin in the Wall Street Journal has a piece arguing that China's crackdown on its tech giants could backfire, you think, leaving Beijing with a seriously damaged consumer sector and slow-growing chips and robotics companies, which again, maybe they don't care about, but quoting... Consider, for example, the return on invested capital for China's largest internet companies compared with those in areas such as microchips and batteries that Beijing has been pushing for years with mixed success. In the fiscal years 2016 to 2020, Alibaba and Tencent averaged a return on invested capital of 18.9% and 19.5% respectively, according to FactSet. SMIC and Huahuang averaged 3.6% and 7.4%. Battery champion Contemporary Amperex Technology, or CATL, averaged a more respectable 15.5%, but that has shrunk to around 10% following big subsidy cuts and changes allowing real foreign competition in 2019. Now, imagine that for the next decade, China produces lots of Huahuangs and CATLs, but no more Alibabas or ByteDances. The impact on growth, employment, and debt could be significant, end quote. Going to give you an interesting raise right here because it's going to tie into one of the weekend long read suggestions in a minute. Grocery delivery startup GoPuff has confirmed a new $1 billion cash injection at a $15 billion valuation to expand its instant grocery delivery service. 
hopefully expanding to Brooklyn, as I still cannot test this out myself as of yet. Just downloaded the app again to check, and nothing doing. Quoting TechCrunch, GoPuff, the startup that's helped kickstart a new category of food delivery in the U.S., instant delivery of essential groceries and other home goods for a flat fee of $1.95, 24 hours a day, has closed a huge tranche of funding to help it scale its service further across the country and globe. It's raised $1 billion in a Series H round that values the Philadelphia-based company at $15 billion. It currently operates 450 sites across North America and the UK, which includes more than 285 dark stores or micro-fulfillment centers in GoPuff's words, plus more than 185 retailers by way of its acquisition of BevMo earlier this year. One of the reasons that GoPuff has raised such a large sum is that building out a food-based logistics fuel transportation business along all of these parameters is capital-intensive. But also, that effort to grow is coming amid a strong surge of competition. Getir, out of Turkey, backed by Sequoia and others, and most recently valued at $7.5 billion, is also aggressively expanding. And just looking at Europe, there is a wave of others, such as Flink, Gorillas, Glovo, Zap, Kaju, and Wheezy, also bulking up their bank accounts to throw their delivery bags into the ring. In the U.S., established delivery giants like DoorDash will also be moving deeper into GoPuff's territory. GoPuff believes it can give all of these and others a run for their money. Founded back in 2013 by Raphael Eliashev and Yakir Gola, now co-CEOs, while they were still in university to fill a gap they saw in the market for students like themselves, GoPuff has expanded well beyond that by catering to anyone looking for a quick and relatively low-cost way of getting essential goods without physically getting out to get those items themselves. In a stretch of time when many of us were either being ordered by our municipal governments or acting on our own decisions to stay in place to curtail the spread of COVID-19, GoPuff's star rose quickly as an easy way of complying without compromising our consumerist tendencies. But companies like Turkey's Getir, which has been around for years and is also building out a model of instant delivery of essential goods, have demonstrated that there is staying power to the concept, and that is what GoPuff is betting on too, end quote. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. And as I said, first up, grocery delivery. I'll admit I've been surprised by the fact that food and grocery delivery continue to be a hot sector for VC investment. My impression was that the space was saturated or even maybe solved. But as this piece in the New York Times points out, not at all. And it even mentions that startup that we just discussed, Turkey's Getir, quote, Rapid grocery delivery is the next step in the wave of venture capital subsidized luxury, serving a generation used to ordering taxi services in minutes, vacationing in cheap villas through Airbnb, and having ever more entertainment available on demand. This is not just for the rich, the affluent, who have money to waste, Mr. Salur, the CEO of Getir, said. It's an affordable premium, he added. It's a very cheap way of treating yourself, end quote. The road to profitability has been elusive in the food delivery industry, but that hasn't stopped venture capitalists from investing about $14 billion in online delivery grocery businesses since the start of 2020, according to data from PitchBook. This year alone, Getir has completed three funding rounds. Is Getir profitable? Yes and no, Mr. Siller said. After a year or two, a neighborhood can be profitable, he said, which is not to say the company as a whole has been profitable yet. Alex Frederick, an analyst at PitchBook who studies the food technology sector, said this industry looked like it was going through a period of blitzscaling, a term coined by Reid Hoffman, who helped build PayPal and found LinkedIn to describe a company racing to serve a global customer base before any of its competitors. And right now, there is a lot of competition without much variation among the companies, Mr. Frederick added. It's a race to get market share at the expense of profitability, he said. One of Getir's First major investors was Michael Moritz, the billionaire venture capitalist and partner at Sequoia Capital, who is famed for early bets on Google, PayPal, and Zappos. Getir piqued my interest because I have yet to hear any consumer complain that they received their order too quickly, he said. End quote. I got pitched a grocery startup to invest in earlier this month, and I initially passed on it, so maybe I gotta go back and take a closer look. Next. Since we've been talking about Intel's attempt at a turnaround, I thought this piece from The Verge would be useful to remind us about how Intel got to this point. Quote, After years of misplaced bets, manufacturing delays, and changing leadership, the previously undisputed chip-making king has found itself faced by competition the likes of which it hasn't faced in decades, while simultaneously finding itself at what could be the company's nadir. In 2020, Intel was forced to admit that it would be severely delaying its 7-nanometer node 
recently rebranded as Intel 4. This precipitated an exodus of leadership and the admission that Intel might have to face the unthinkable and outsource its own manufacturing. Intel managed to survive its last summer hell at the cost of being forced to dramatically rethink its business from the top down. Now it has a new CEO, a new plan, and a market hungry for more chips. It set ambitious goals, revealing its most detailed process roadmap, and a bold promise to jump ahead and reclaim processor leadership by 2025 if it can avoid the familiar pitfalls of the past decade. The coming years will be a make-or-break moment of redemption that will either right the course or send Intel into what might be its final tailspin, end quote. This piece from Quartz answers a question that I've had before. Why can't the U.S. just beam the internet into authoritarian states like Cuba that tend to shut the internet down? Quote, For decades, countries like the U.S. ran programs like Radio Free Europe, which broadcast news and entertainment to radio listeners living under the censorship of the Soviet Union. The U.S. has run a similar program for Cuba under the name Radio Marti, named after Cuban independence hero Jose Marti, since 1985. The broadcasts, much like today's proposals for a guerrilla internet network in China, aim to give citizens access to a broader range of information and empower them to challenge their rulers. But the internet is not radio. It requires more advanced equipment and a stronger two-way connection between users and telecommunication networks. Transmitting web content isn't as easy as firing off a pirate radio broadcast from a boat in international waters. This helps illustrate why liberal democracies around the world won't be able to just beam in uncensored internet every time an authoritarian regime cuts its citizens' access to the web. If the U.S. can't pull it off in Cuba, a country 90 miles away, which sits within range of some American telecommunications systems and hosts a major U.S. military base, it's hard to imagine any government or company doing the same in a harder-to-reach region like China's Zhejiang province." End quote. The Wall Street Journal says that the job of social media manager is no longer just something that you shunt off to the closest millennial anymore. It's now become one of the key strategic jobs in almost any enterprise. Quote, the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism launched a master's degree in digital social media in 2018 in response to the growing number of jobs in the field, says Daniela Barofo, who oversees the program. The school aimed to meet executives' demand for social media experts who have a handle both on hard skills like data analytics and storytelling, she says. Quote, these jobs are way beyond entry-level positions now, she says. She also believes that social media's maturation as a field has had social benefits. Online organizing and activism around movements like Stop Asian Hate are linked to the more sophisticated ways in which people use these platforms today. That's also a product of this new social media talent, she says, end quote. And finally, this is not tech, and it's not exactly building a metaverse. Well, maybe not yet, but when Hollywood wants to create a new cinematic universe, increasingly they're turning to the Russo brothers, quoting Bloomberg. Citadel is one of a half dozen or so universe creation projects that the Russo's company AGBO is developing. Last year, AGBO produced Extraction, an action flick starring Chris Hemsworth, that quickly became the most-watched original movie in Netflix's history. Afterward, the streaming giant commissioned AGBO to begin work on a series of follow-up films. For Universal, AGBO is developing both a movie and a TV series based on the comic The Electric State. For Amazon, in addition to Citadel, they're making an adaptation of the comic Grimjack. 
We have a really uniquely accomplished creative team that can not only imagine, but also execute at the greatest scale and scope, says Jason Bergsman, AGBO's chief executive officer. Our goal is to launch new franchises that drive audience engagement for years to come, that extend across film and TV, as well as digital and interactive experiences, end quote. Yeah, imagine that. Creating new franchises from a whole cloth not built on pre-existing IP. Like, that seems like it would be a logical production efficiency that Hollywood should pursue, right? If only it was that easy. Running a bit late today because I had to watch that penalty shootout this morning with Penny. The U.S. women's national team did better at penalties than England did, I'm happy to report. Anyway, no bonus content of any kind this weekend. This is the last weekend in July, as you'll notice, so it's the last weekend I'll be taking things slowly, summer slowly. We are going to be ramping up doing some interesting new projects in the fall. More on that soon. Talk to you on Monday.